0: Scriptures uh, from chapter 8, John chapter 8, verse 31 through 36. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Amen. Thank you, Bruce. I invite you to open your bullets and look at some of the prayer requests there. You know, the people on the prayer list, health concerns. I hope you remember to lift these folks up in prayer during the week. And a number of you have, uh, I mean, there's a ton of cards in there. And I go through them every once in a while and throw away the ones that um, are not pertinent anymore. Sometimes I feel it's like sacrilegious to throw away a prayer card. <laughs> but we clean them out every once in a while, but there's, there's like 40 or 50 in there right now. And here's a few. Uh, one wants prayer for salvation for grandkids. Oh, what a great prayer. Uh, Janine Lisney, just kind of an update on Glenn. Glenn was the one that had stage four cancer and, and there's no more cancer. Glenn's results continue positive. Can't wait until we feel safe for him to return. So grateful for this church and for your prayers. What a breakthrough! Uh, Prayer for unsaved family members, a job for a son, um, and had a brother that committed suicide. Lots of prayers needed there. Here's one that God would heal our land, that we would humble ourselves and pray for unity that we would return to the Lord and put away our selfish desires. Good prayer. Here's one. Uh, Things get a little tougher at times. I just look to continue to grow in my faith and to trust in Jesus. All glory and gratitude to him. Trying times. Praying for understanding. You know, and so here's somebody that wants to... Get back close to Jesus. It's a good prayer. And here's a a prayer from uh, Nancy Foss is praying about a friend or thanking Lord. Praise and thanksgiving, exclamation point. The Lord, our great healer, has healed our friend John from throat cancer. The tumor is completely gone. That's awesome. And his ability to swallow is beginning to return. Also wanted to keep in mind, uh, we have a missionary that's a part of our church. Her name is Karen Moe. Karen is a young, uh, well, she just graduated from college, from Northwestern College, and she's with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and she's in Nepal right now. And she just got there last week, and I think we need to pray for her as a church family. What do you think? Sound good? Well, let's pray. God, we just thank you for a lot of breakthroughs. I thank you for person that came to my office last week and just was broken and wanted you and came to you and cried out to you, Lord, thank you for breakthroughs that way. Lord, we think of the people that wrote down prayers for unsaved family. And God, we pray that there would be breakthroughs that somehow, in some way, they would hear the gospel message, Lord, whether it's through a sermon or through a friend or through some written literature, the radio. God, we just pray that you would break through on these cries to you for salvation. Those cries, Hosanna. You're the one that can save. Save us. Help us. Salvation is here. Salvation has come. Lord, I pray that you help us to live out Hosanna in our own lives, realizing that you're here for help. You're here to save. You're here to heal. You're here to deliver. Lord, I thank you for the Lisneys and for Nancy Foss's friends who experienced total healing, God. We thank you that you're a miracle-working God, that we don't just read about these things in the Bible, but you're the same, Jesus. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we worship and we praise you. Lord, we think of all the ones on our list every week in the bulletin People that need our love and prayers, Joan Meidinger and Roger Kalnowski and Idella Wilson and Wayne Schumacher and Luella Carlson, Benedine Schneider and Barbara Olson and Alan Ruth Tollison. God, we just lift up them to you and pray that whatever room they're in right now, you'd make that room a sanctuary where they can feel and know your presence and your power. And we lift up Karen Moe. Lord, I thank you for a step of faith, Lord, to be involved in discipleship training for three months, and then to go to another country. Lord, and to feel that desperation for you, that if anything's going to get done, it's because of your spirit living in her life. And so, Lord, we pray for her protection. We pray for fruitfulness in her life, and that you would help, help her to be faithful to you uh, during these two months of being in Nepal. And Lord, we commit our time to you right now and pray that your word would find a place to grow in our lives and in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, You know, we were yelling out Hosanna. I found some uh, interesting information about Hosanna. You know, uh, the New Testament was written in Greek, right? And the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, a little bit Aramaic, but mainly Hebrew, and whenever the word Hosanna occurs in the New Testament, do you know what Greek word it is? Does anybody know? Hosanna. (laughs) Hosanna. Um, All the English translators did was use English letters, uh, Hosanna, to make the sound of the Greek word. But if you look in a Greek dictionary to find out what it means, you know what you find? you find that it's not really originally a Greek word after all. In fact, the men who wrote the New Testament in Greek did the same thing to a Hebrew word that our English translators did to the Greek word. They just used Greek letters to make the sound of a Hebrew phrase. I know it sounds kind of complicated, but it really isn't. You know, our English word hosanna comes from the Greek word hosanna that comes from the Hebrew phrase hoshiana, hoshiana. And that Hebrew phrase is found in one solitary place in the Old Testament, Psalm 118, verse 25, where it means, "Save, please, save!" And it's a cry to God for help, like when somebody like, pushes you off a diving board and you don't know how to swim, and you come up hollering, "Help! Help, save!" Hoshiana!" But something happened to that phrase. The meaning changed over the years, and in the psalm, it was immediately followed by this exclamation that was quoted by the New Testament authors, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the cry for help, Hoshiana, was answered almost before it came out of the psalmist's mouth. And for the centuries, over the centuries, that phrase, Hoshiana, stopped being a cry for help in the ordinary language of the Jews. Instead, it became a shout of hope. It became a shout of exaltation. It used to mean, save, please help, save. But gradually, it came to mean, salvation, salvation, salvation has come. It used to be what you would say when you fell off the diving board, but it came to be what you would say when you see that lifeguard coming to save you. And it's a bubbling over of the heart that sees hope and it sees joy and it sees salvation on the way and can't keep it in. So Hosanna means hooray, yay for salvation. It's coming, it's here. Salvation, salvation. And Hosanna to the son of David means the son of David is our salvation. Hooray for the king. Salvation belongs to the king. And Hosanna in the highest means let all the angels in heaven join the song of praise. Salvation, salvation. Salvation. Let the highest heaven sing the song. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this special day in the life of all the churches, Christian churches, when we remember that you rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey in fulfillment of the prophecy of old from Zechariah 9-9. Behold, your king comes riding in on a donkey. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we bless your name today, Lord. We recognize that you're the king, and we pray, Lord, that you would ride into our hearts and that you would rule and reign there. Lord, that we would say, my kingdom go, thy kingdom come. And all this we pray in the name of King Jesus. Amen. So I want you to keep your Bible open to John chapter 8. You know, I thought about preaching on, you know, the woman caught in adultery. That's at the end of 7. And I thought, nah, you know, we've, we've talked about, you know, don't judge people. And Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. He said to the woman, you know, go. I don't condemn you, but go and don't sin anymore. Okay. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll preach on... John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. I thought, well, you know. And then my eyes went down to the passage that Bruce just read. And I thought, that's a, that's a good passage. You know, how can you follow the light without the word of God? The entrance of his word brings light. And so I want to talk about the word of of truth today you know those disciples they were so fickle you know all the people hosanna salvation is coming on sunday and then crucify him crucify him on friday i think there's a lifelong responsibility for every true disciple of jesus christ and i think our text makes it very plain our text makes it very clear and it revolves around this it revolves around the word of truth. We never graduate out of Jesus' school of discipleship. We have the same teacher and we have the same textbook throughout all of life. And this is why, as a shepherd of this congregation, I'm so insistent really on Bible study and personal Bible study and small group Bible study and Bible study in Sunday school. No matter what age you are, how much, you know, how much you know or don't know really doesn't matter. But the sheep need to eat. They need a balanced, steady diet throughout all of life. In short, from our text, I think a true disciple of Jesus has a threefold responsibility related to this word of truth. Continuance in the word of truth, obedience to the word of truth, and experience of the word of truth. Our first responsibility, number one, continuance in the word of truth. Look at John 8, 31, it says, if you... Hold to my teaching. Some versions it says, if you abide in my word, the emphasis is on the pronoun you. Very significant because the Lord Jesus was addressing leaders of religious life who were nominal believers at best. I mean, what do I mean by nominal? Look at verse 31. It says, to the Jews who had believed in him. Oh, they believed in Jesus. But then you look at verse 44. Look at verse 44. It says, you belong to your father, the devil. I thought they believed in him, but you belong to your father, the devil. Talk about nominal Christianity. They did not possess the conviction or the courage to rank themselves openly as disciples of Christ and too often i think men and women graduate from confirmation or graduate from Sunday school and they don't continue in the word of truth they think they know it all and in reality they don't know it all and they're too proud to admit it true discipleship demands continuance in the truth as it is in Christ I mean, he had just said in verse 14 of chapter 8, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. The Jews required the testimony of two witnesses before they accepted a statement as valid. And this requirement was based on the imperfection of individual knowledge and the untrustworthiness of individual testimony. But with Christ, there is no imperfection. And there is no untrustworthiness So as to give men no excuse to doubt his word, he declared in verse 18 of chapter 8, I am he who bears witness of me. (laughs) I am he who bears witness of me. In other words, he claimed to represent the two required witnesses since he was one with the Father in speaking as well as being the truth. To grasp such a claim is to be willing to continue in the truth as it is in Jesus Christ and Also, discipleship demands continuance in the whole truth. Now, this isn't on your outline. It's the next little point. This point is not in the bulletin. What? It's not in the bulletin? No, so put it in there. Verse 31, if you abide in my word. Notice the Lord speaks of my word uh, in the singular. In chapter 15, verse 7, we have the opposite Uh, thought where he says, if you abide in me and my words, my words abide in you. The reason for the singular form in this context is that Christ was demanding a continuance in the truth in its entirety from would-be disciples. By the term my word, Jesus was conveying the idea of the full revelation of God as it is in himself. In other words, it's all or nothing We can't say, well, I like what Jesus said over here, but this loving your enemies business? No way. We must continue in the whole truth. And the whole truth is in Christ. Mary and I went to see that movie yesterday. Did you see the movie? I can only imagine. Raise your hand if you saw the movie. Yeah, you should go see it. The guy... I won't spoil the whole thing, but uh, the guy had to forgive his father. I think in his heart, he kind of wanted to leave that part out of the Bible, but he had to forgive his father. It's all or nothing with Jesus. When bankers are trained to learn the difference between a counterfeit bill and a real one, They're told not to waste time studying the counterfeit. They study the real thing until they know it upside down, backwards and forwards. And then when a counterfeit bill comes along, it stands out like a sore thumb. And in the same way, we must study the real thing, the whole truth, Christ and his life. Only then will we continue in the truth. Also, discipleship demands not only continuance in the truth and the whole truth, but continuance in nothing but the truth as it is in Christ. Christ look at verse 31 again if you abide in my word I mean the human tendency is to cease to hold to his teaching to cease to abide in the word and to be led astray by our own opinions and by our preconceived idea you see our culture is doing the same thing you know It's what our culture is doing in relation to marriage. It's what our culture is doing in relation to sexuality. It's what our denomination is doing in relation to these issues. Remember, our human speculations and opinion must always be pitted against the straight edge of Scripture. A true disciple will bend to conform to the word of God, to continue in the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's to be guided wholly by the word of God and governed wholly by the spirit of God in all matters of faith, in all matters of practice. This constitutes true discipleship. Somebody prayed, and I think I wrote it in a bulletin. Since truth is always true, And only true can be. Keep me, O Lord, as true to truth, as truth is true to thee. The disciples' responsibility is not only continuance in the word of truth, but responsibility number two. Obedience. There it is. Obedience to the word of truth. Look at verse 32 of John chapter 8. And you shall know the truth. I think the Lord Jesus left us in no doubt as what he meant by knowing the truth. I mean, in this very gospel, John 7, 7, verse 17, he says, If anyone wants to do God's will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God. So knowing the truth is a lot more than just believing something to be true. The demons believed that way. They said, Son of God, what do you want from us? They knew who Jesus was, the Son of God. They knew that truth. The the demons believe that way, but knowing the truth is a willingness to do the will of God. Somebody has said, light obeyed bringeth light. Light rejected bringeth night. So first, there must be obedience of the mind. And in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, Paul speaks of bringing every thought captive, every thought in captivity to the obedience of Christ. And I think this means putting away our own uh, carnal imaginations, our proud rationalizations, so that the word of Christ may dwell in us richly with all wisdom. Uh, simply put, this means uh, reading the Bible every day. Again, back to the movie. You know, I can only imagine. You know, when the dad in that movie, and I'm not going to spoil the whole thing for you. When that dad um, was starting to come to Jesus... When God started to get a hold of him, what was he doing? He was listening to preachers on the radio. He had his Bible open all the time. He had read through the thing a couple times in a short period of time. Reading the word. Time and time again, Jesus had to turn to his disciples and ask, you know, Have you guys not read? The Apostle Paul exhorted Timothy to give attention to the reading, 1 Timothy 4.13. More than just public reading of Scripture, I think Paul was concerned that Timothy might become neglectful of this holy habit in his personal life. And as martyrdom drew near, the Apostle Paul told Timothy again, this time not in 1 Timothy 4.13, but in 2 Timothy 4.13, he said, be diligently to come to me quickly and bring the books and bring the parchments. Isn't that amazing? Think of it. I mean, Paul was on death row. He's going to die. Here he wants to read the parchments. He wants the books. Death was near. Heaven was soon to receive him. But this man of God felt the need for more reading, especially the parchments, the holy scriptures. Do we have that same love for the scriptures as Paul, you know, in these Days of rushed living, it's time to get back into the Bible. You will be blessed. You will be blessed. I mean, it says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, blessed is the one who reads the words of this book. Specifically, it's for the book of Revelation, but I think you could uh, apply it to all of Scripture. You will be blessed when you just read the Bible. But along with reading the Word, there should also be a searching of the Word every day. A searching. You know, way back in John chapter 5, verse 39, it says, hey, you guys, you search the scriptures. Search the scriptures, said our Lord to those religious leaders of his day. For in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Search is a command. So Jesus was insisting that to find the Savior... You must search the scriptures. But sorry to say, in the case of the Pharisees, in the case of the scribes, they studied ferociously. But they failed to find the Lord. They didn't realize that searching, like reading, must be under control of the Holy Spirit if Christ is to really be revealed. There's a passage in First Corinthians chapter two, verses nine to eleven. Listen to this eye has not seen, nor has ear heard. Nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who loved him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. No one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So to know the truth, there must be the obedience of our minds to the word of God. In reading and searching the truth until Christ is actually revealed to us. By the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. uh, I was doing a confirmation student interview, and I asked uh, the confirmation student, are you reading the Bible? You know, these are like ninth graders, eighth graders. and He said, oh, yeah, I'm reading the Bible. I go, oh. He says, yeah, I'm going through uh, the chronological Bible. I go, really? That's awesome. I don't know how many adults are doing that. He says, yeah, there's an app for it, so go find yourself an app and follow the the program. You can read through the Bible chronologically. What a great example this confirmation student is giving all of us. There must be also an obedience of heart, not only obedience of mind, but obedience of heart. Paul reminds his readers at Rome in Romans 6, 17 and 18 that they were once slaves to sin, but now they obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which they were delivered. To obey with the heart means more than just believing the truth. It means receiving the truth. So many of us assent to the truth, but we don't consent to the truth. We must not fool with God. Don't play games with him. A rule for personal Bible study is live the truth you get in the morning through each hour of the day. Remember James? He says, hey, don't just be hearers of the word but be doers of the word ultimately it's not a matter of how often we go through the bible but how often the bible goes through us right some books were produced for our information the bible was produced for our transformation there's nothing in the bible that benefits you unless it's translated into life unless it becomes actually a part of yourself like food unless you assimilate that food and it becomes a part of your body and your bones and your muscle. It does you no good. And so it is with scripture. Obedience of the mind, obedience of the heart. There also must be obedience of will. And there's a phrase in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, that sums up obedience of will. It is this, obedient to the point of death. I think that's what this next movie is about. Paul. I'm going to go to that one, about the Apostle Paul, obedience to the point of death. Before this could happen in the life of Jesus, he had to pray, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And this is where the cross comes in. And obedience is never valid until it becomes obedience unto death, a willingness to obey God. Cost me whatever it will until God's will is accomplished. Whosoever will save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. And we're talking about the disciples' responsibility, continuance in the word of truth, obedience to the word of truth, mind, heart, and will, and then also um, experience of the word of truth. Look at John eight thirty two. The truth will make you free If there's a faithful continuance in the word of truth and a heartfelt obedience to the word of truth, I think there will be a joyful experience of the truth. This experience, I think, is summed up in this word, freedom, freedom. I think that's kind of maybe a little nuance of Hosanna, freedom, the king is here. We're delivered. These words were addressed to people who claimed political freedom, but in reality, They were slaves to Rome. They were under the heel of Rome. They claimed religious freedom, but instead they were enslaved to the letter of the law. They claimed moral freedom, but they were, in reality, slaves to sin. Nevertheless, it was to slaves like these that Jesus said, the truth, the truth will make you free. Let me just read... uh, John eight thirty two to 38 again, it says, Then you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. They answered, We're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? I mean, they were slaves to Rome right here. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word? I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. I mean, back at the beginning, these are the Jews who had believed in him, and now he's trying to say, you know, your father isn't necessarily Abraham. Your father is the devil because there's no room For my word in your heart, the Savior was offering them and men and women and boys and girls everywhere freedom, personal freedom, first of all. In verse 36, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. I mean, the Jews had just said to Christ, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say that we'll be made free? You know, people have been saying this since the beginning of time to cover up their bondage to people. All of us are dominated by what others think. We're dominated by what others say. H. D. Wells once said that the voice of our neighbors sounds louder in our ears than the voice of God. And it was Solomon who said that the fear of man brings a snare. Jesus can set you free. He can set you free from that kind of a bondage through the word of God and the spirit of God. I believe the reason that we are not radiant and fearless witnesses that we ought to be is because of our bondage to men. One of the reformers was told, all the world is against you, to which he replied, then I'm against the world. The epitaph on the tomb of John Knox reads, here lies the man who never feared the face of clay. Oh, the freedom I experienced in my younger Christian days, freedom to be not three different days. I quit playing games with God and my parents and my family. You know how it is when the preacher comes along, people act differently. <laughs> Tells me that they're phony and they need to be personally set free. When the Spirit of God got a hold of me, when I went to college, you know, just something was within me. I didn't have anything to be afraid of. And there were the same pressures that everybody else has, but I walked up and down the halls of that college dorm room and Centennial, the second floor, and I brought my Bible with and I went to every room and I said, do you have one of these? I wanted to know who the Christians were. There was just something in me And it was the spirit of truth. It was the spirit of God. Personal freedom. But there's also a literal freedom. Verse 32, again, the truth will make you free. You know, the divine law without the divine life is bondage. That's what the Pharisees had. The word of God without the spirit of God is slavery. But when the truth is obeyed in mind, in heart, and in will, I tell you, it sets us free. It sets men free. The law becomes a way of life. The word of God becomes a path of life. The gospel of God becomes the aim of life. Literal freedom to preach and to speak and to write with conviction. Personal freedom, literal freedom, and there's also a spiritual freedom. Romans 8, chapter 2, it says, the spirit of life... In Christ, Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Jesus told his listeners here in in John chapter 8 that whoever sins is a slave to sin. And how true that is. Discipleship breaks the chains that binds us to our sins and enables us to become the persons we know we ought to be. And I love Oh, 4,000 Tongues to thing written by Charles Wesley in the 1700s. You know, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. We're going to talk about the blood on Thursday night as we partake of holy communion uh, together and remember his blood. Spiritual freedom through faith in the Son of God, by the word of God. And in the power of the Spirit of God. Have you experienced that freedom? This word of truth? Herod could imprison John the Baptist and finally cut his head off, but John was free while Herod was a slave, although he was called the king. Old Nero, he was a slave while Paul was God's freeman, shouting, I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me in a Roman prison? He wrote those words. King James could imprison that humble tinker, John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, for preaching on the streets of Bedford, but Bunyan was free in his soul. Do you know this spiritual freedom? Or are you under the dominion of sin? You know, compelled in your heart to give way to evil tempers and and lusts. Not doing the things that you should do and doing the things that you shouldn't do. It's kind of like what Paul was experiencing in Romans chapter seven. I think you BSFers probably know this one. Remember that? If you are experiencing Romans seven, you know what you should do? You should read Romans chapter eight. (laughs) And shout the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Our responsibility as disciples, continuance in the word of truth, obedience to the word of truth, and an experience of the word of truth. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. God make us your disciples. Lord, we just come to you uh, with our hands before us, just open to your presence and your power to receive from you words of life, words of truth. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to tell your story, Lord, to others as we leave this sanctuary, that we would Declare the praises of God to a crooked and a depraved generation. Lord, help us to brag on you, Jesus. Help us to tell the stories of Jesus, Lord, to one another, to encourage and to build each other up in the faith. Lord, help us to be word-centered, Christ-centered people that love you with our whole heart and our minds and our wills and our souls. Lord, we just thank you for the word of truth. That can set us free if the son sets you free you will be free in indeed and lord we're free to worship you even as we bring the tithe lord this is not obligatory this is a freedom this is a joy to bring you the tithe to bring you offerings to offer you money and gifts lord to spread your word and to increase your kingdom through the spreading of the word of god through this church called calvary lord it's a joy to worship you in this way. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless each giver today and the gift and remind us of what you have done for us, Lord, as we fix our eyes on the cross and as we want to tell the stories of Jesus and to proclaim you as the king of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.